0: So I need to make a confession to you today that what I am going to talk about today that I am not very good at it that I'm guilty of failing at this and um, but first what I want to do is which is human nature of I want you to convince you that I'm right in the way I'm thinking that um, to justify myself to make myself feel better so that you can see me maybe in a little better light of this failure that I have. So I have a neighbor or had a neighbor. He has moved away right now, and I don't consider him a very good neighbor. And I probably wasn't a very good neighbor to him either. And so at my house, I many some of you have been in my house, but my house, I have a it's a backyard that's very... It, it lends itself to being able to have nice events. It's quiet, there's trees around it. And you know, we've had lots of things or we've had all my kids have had graduation parties there. I have had employees over for picnics or just get togethers in the evening after work and my backyard. We've had wedding rehearsal dinners at my in my backyard. So it's a backyard that we, we use quite a bit. However Guess what my neighbor thinks is the best thing to do during every one of these events that's, that's a really neighborly thing to do? You got it. To trim and mow the lawn every single time for the entire duration of this event, like it, at the start and at the finish. And then when they are over, it's like all of a sudden he's done mowing. Like it didn't matter. At times we thought, okay, well, we'll have it in the morning. Guess what time the best time to mow the lawn was that morning? The morning. Okay, so it's hot in the mid-afternoon. Nobody wants to do it in the mid-afternoon. Well, nope. That was the best time to mow the lawn. So I figure, okay, evening we're safe. Nope. That was the best time to mow the lawn. So every single time we'd have one of these events, he would mow his lawn during the entire duration. So I've, I've got you convinced, right, that I don't need to be very neighborly, that that's like I'm right, right? Do I have you convinced yet? You guys are more easily convinced than the last group. The last group, man, I had to work hard. They, they were like shaking their head, like no, no. (laughs) So, if that didn't convince you, I got one last story before he moved. So my son got married last summer, and we had the rehearsal dinner at my house in my backyard. And so there's you know younger people there, and axe throwing is a pretty popular thing right now. So. We decided, you know what, we'll just, we'll just build a, a little makeshift axe-throwing target in our yard and, and put it up in our yard so people have something to do, which we did. And sure enough, that night, we received this email from him. You would have thought that we just, like, burned his house down. He was so appalled that we would put such a thing. Now, in my yard, like it was between our yards, but it wasn't facing his yard so when we throw axes, like it would stick into his house. Like it was facing so that it actually went against a ditch bank and wouldn't harm a thing. But he actually he wanted to meet us at the target the next morning to discuss this, this awful thing that we have done to him. And, well, I wasn't neighborly then. <laughs> I, I didn't feel very neighborly. And at least in my mind, I was not neighborly at all. But I've learned, I'm I'm getting smarter, and also the email was to Kim, so I didn't have to deal with it at all anyway. So I just backed off and just let her deal with it. But I wasn't very neighborly, struggled with that. So brings us to the second one of the greatest in this series that I'm calling the greatest. And last week we looked at what Jesus called the first and greatest commandment, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is what Jesus says next. He says, the next thing Jesus said is our next greatest. It's, and he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think it's obvious from my description of my previous neighbor that I have some work to do on that, that I'm not sometimes very good at loving my literal neighbor. But if you remember last week, Jesus was asked a question to give the greatest commandment. Like, what is this? singular the greatest commandment but like many of us know we know people that are you ask them a question and they seem to give you a lot more than you just like I just want a simple yes or no but they have to give you this whole big thing and and you actually want an answer for a question but you're giving more than you wanted and you're actually created you're asking more questions than you had with your first question and well Jesus is that guy Jesus is that guy, and this is what he does by asking this question, by saying this to him. Now, I want to look at, begin to kind of dissect this a little bit and looked at this, and the first thing Jesus says, and the second is like it. Now, what I see it's that is that second in line, not second in importance. The Pharisee that asked this question, now, he would have, been respo- he would have known both of these responses that Jesus gave of loving God and also loving your neighbor. Because they're both found in the Old Testament, both found in the scriptures that he knew. In fact, the loving your neighbor was found in Leviticus 19.18. Let's take a look at that. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But what is new to this is this was the first time these two commandments were put together. These were the first time that he heard these as, you do this one and you do this one, that Jesus said is like it. He's making a point that this command, this loving your neighbor, it's got equal significance as that first one that Jesus gave about loving God. So it is second in line, but not second in importance. Now, to help explain that a little bit in terms that maybe will we'll make sense to us a little bit is, how many of us are parents in this room and have more than one child? a lot of us or you have brothers and sisters right the, the people that aren't married and don't have kids you have brothers and sisters and so those of us that have siblings I know that many of you probably felt and were convinced that your parents loved your brother or sister more than you you were sure of it they were they thought your that, that child was the greatest and you thought you were like they don't love me as much or some of you that aren't shaking your head you were probably that one that was the greatest and the one that they thought was loved more. Well, that's not true, is it? Parents, now, we love our children the same. Like, they're, they're, they're different, but they're still all great. There, there's not one better than the other. Now, there's obviously a firstborn and a second and a third and then the youngest. And there's different, there's different things that come with that birth order but when it comes down to it they're all great. We all they all your parents loved you all the same. Now, I know some of us are the knuckleheads of the family and some of us maybe are the successful ones of the family or the ones that are the compliant ones of the family. But all the children are great. They're all equally important both in God's eyes and our parents' eyes. That's Jesus saying. It's like It's second in line. You might be second in line, but you're just as great as your first brother. And then Jesus also tells us in verse 40, it says, all the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. And I think he's saying is, you can't have one without the other. So the question maybe some of us have left, because I didn't really go into detail, is how do you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind? And Jesus gave us this answer, I think, by saying, loving your neighbor. So maybe I put it like that. Look at how someone treats their neighbor. Look at how someone loves their neighbor. And that's going to show how much they love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. I brought up Luke 6.45 last week in about the good and the evil stored up in our hearts. But I want to look at verse 43 and 44 this week. Let me just listen to this as I read it to you. It says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There's a as I was looking through this I'm trying to think of okay what are some plants that are or trees that are are I w- maybe consider bad fruit. You know, there's the evening nightshade which you guys have probably heard of, but then there was one that I came across. It's called a bead vine or a rosary pea. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's, it's, a, it's a tree that, it grows this fruit that's actually, it grows these little bright, bright red berries, and they, they, and they look kind of like red peas, and they got a little black top. They're, they're kind of cool-looking plants, cool-looking trees, and the fruit on it looks like, that. that's something maybe I could pick and eat or do something with, but you don't want to. Because this fruit, it's, it's highly poisonous. In fact, in some parts of the country, it's an invasive species, and they're trying to get rid of this. So I think this is an example of a bad tree producing a bad fruit. It's a, the fruit isn't good. It's going to be harmful to you. It's, it's potential to cause death. So just like not loving your neighbor is going to produce bad fruit. Bad fruit that makes it impossible to love God. And if you don't love God... That's going to produce some bad fruit and bad fruit that makes it impossible to love your neighbor. Now let me explain this maybe with my old neighbor that I wasn't very neighborly to. <laughs> so when I'm not very neighborly and I receive that email like I do, well obviously I become a little angry. I get bitter. Maybe get resentful. I get all of these emotions in me that I may think he deserves to have those things, those attitudes towards him. But when my heart is full of all that, and my mind is full of all that, and my soul is full of it, i got a really hard time loving God. And then all of those feelings, all that anger, that bitterness, it makes my heart hard. And it makes my heart full of, well, I'm just going to say evil. Which then, I have a hard time even loving myself, let alone loving God. Now if I turn that around, and I'm loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, with everything I have and even in the midst of that lawn mowing going on and I'm yelling at my friend trying to talk to him, it's a lot easier to love my neighbor. And then when I'm loving my neighbor, my heart gets all this good stuff in it. It gets lighter. It's 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 more caring. It's more giving. It's just kind of warm and fuzzy. And and because it's it's like that, well then in turn I get I can love God better. So now that we kind of understand that maybe and we kind of hopefully feel a little good about ourselves, but the question becomes, who is my neighbor? Now, we think of our neighbor nowadays just like this guy lived next door to me, that that's my neighbor. Our neighbor is the people that live, you know, in our neighborhood or live close by. Now, I grew up on a farm growing up, not as bad as yours, Jimbo, but you got neighbors that are miles and miles away, but that was mine, like a to me, a neighbor is someone who lives two or three miles away. So it wasn't just someone right next door. But I want to look at this Leviticus 19.18. Jesus gives us, this is, he says this, and it's based on the current definition of neighbor. What everybody thinks neighbor means at this time. And if the first part of 19.18 says, Do, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. So, loving your nei- neighbor was code for a Jew to love a fellow Jew. So, you're, you're just loving your own people, people that think like you, Jews loving Jews. And that's pretty easy to accept. Jesus wasn't really requiring this response that he gave to this Jewish person. It wasn't something that's going to stretch them because you already knew that. You could make an argument that when Jesus also said to love your neighbor as yourself, that maybe he was adding a third commandment to this, which he really wasn't. Since his your neighbor is another Jewish person, that that's what it means to love your neighbor, that loving your neighbor who is also a fellow Jew, that really, because you're Jewish, you're really loving yourself because you're also Jewish. You're just loving another Jew. So it's, it's not. It's still the same commandment. And I ask, what's so hard about that? Well, it's easy to love each other in the church, isn't it? It's pretty easy to love each other in the church. But what if you go to that other church over there? Can I still love you? What if you're here and you go to the other church over there? Can I still love you? Yeah, we can still love, love each other. What if, what if we're here and, and, well, and it's also easy because, you know what? Shelby, if you love Jesus and I love Jesus then we can all love Jesus. That's pretty easy, isn't it? But what if you don't love Jesus? Can I still love you? They don't love the same God that I love. I can't love them, right? I can't love them. Because they they are not my neighbor then, right? Or are they still my neighbor? So what Jesus did is he redefined this neighbor was redefined. Jesus redefines neighbor. And what we need to do to see this is we need to shift over to Luke 10, starting in verse 25. This is a similar story to what we just have looked at. But this time, an expert of the law, someone that knows everything about everything, stood up and he wants to test Jesus. He's trying to trick him. He's trying to, he asks him this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So in typical fashion, Jesus doesn't answer the question. He asks a question. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? This is what the man responds. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus responds and he says, that's a good answer. You're correct. Do that and you will live. So now this man is probably going Look at me. I got one of Jesus' questions right. Look at how smart I am. Look at how look at this. So then he, he he asks another question. This this expert in the law. He asks a question that this question is forever going to redefine your neighbor. He says, Who is my neighbor? And if you know the story, Jesus responds with the tale of the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is going to redefine what neighbor means. I'm going to retell that story a little bit. I'm going to change names just to give it a little more life maybe. So Superman was walking from Metropolis to, to Gotham. You know, Gotham's not a very safe place. So there's lots of bad people along the road. I, I don't know. He must have been washing his cape or something because he was walking and not flying. So he's walking along this path and he comes along and there's a dangerous part in it. And so out dropped jump some robbers with some kryptonite because, you know, kryptonite's the only thing that can harm Superman. So they harm Superman with kryptonite. They beat him up and, like, he's practically dead. Like, they leave him for dead and they probably leave a piece of kryptonite laying on top of him so he can't get his strength back. Well then, you know, if you know Superman, Superman's part of the Justice League. So Justice League, there's this whole neighborhood of superheroes. So along comes Batman. Batman sees Superman laying there and he's like you know I really didn't like that cape wear and tight wearing. And, and I got things to do Joker is act I need to get to Gotham so he just walks right on by goes across the other street so then S- Superman's still laying there he's 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 dying and then along comes Wonder Woman he's like of course Wonder Woman will help me she she's nurturing she's caring she'll come and help me she's looking at her nails going you know I missed my nail appointment last time and if I miss it again they're gonna fire me and I won't be able to get in to get my nails done and so she's like Superman you're on your own man and she goes walks the other side of the street and just leaves him. Well then a guy named Lex Luthor comes along which if you know Superman that's that's the enemy. That's the the villain of the story. So Lex Luthor sees Superman and and he'd be thinking "Ah, I've got him now. He's about dead I can just finish the job but no. Lex Luthor comes over to Superman and he starts caring for him. He starts taking care of him. He starts bandaging him. He gets him loaded up and he takes him to the best hotel and he takes him and he puts him up there and he says, take care of this guy. And When I come back, if you, I owe you more money, I'll give you more money and, and, and get this guy well. And then Lex Luthor goes about his way. Now we can, we can put a lot of names in that story, can't we, in our own lives? We can put a lot of names of people. Maybe we have experience where we thought they were friends. We thought they were neighbors. And they just didn't really seem to be. Maybe we can put people's names in there we thought considered enemies. That they weren't neighbors. But they weren't. They weren't. They weren't enemies. So maybe you were one of those people that walked on by. So who in your life that maybe they considered you a neighbor, yet you just passed on by when they were in need? Maybe there was people that you consider not your neighbor, or people consider you not their neighbor, someone that maybe they think of you as an enemy. Now, Jesus ends this parable with this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So obviously, the man says the one who had mercy on him. Now, this is the expert of the law. He knows knows the law, so he says that, but... The thing is, is, if you notice, he couldn't even say a Samaritan. He couldn't even say, He had so much just angst and anger or whatever it is. Just he couldn't even mention the name Samaritan. He said it had the one that had mercy on him because he considered this man an enemy. So when Jesus said this, and the expert of the law even said the one who had mercy, that the neighborhood just went, poof, it's gone. There went the neighborhood, literally. Because it was easy to say I can be a neighbor to someone like me who believes the same things as me, goes to the same synagogue as me, believes in the same God as me, shops at the same kosher deli as me. Now Jesus wants me to love those other people. Those, things that, those people that don't believe in the same things I do. Those people that believe just even political views are different. Everything's different. He wants me to believe in people, be a neighbor to people that bl- don't believe in God, that see God differently than I do. Jesus is asking me now to treat them as a neighbor. So this man, when he said that, the sex lies, law, he's probably convicted. He's probably convicted when he's, when he's he, he probably paused a while before he said, have this man that had mercy on him. But here's this man, he's probably, he's going through his head going all of these laws, all of these things that he knows, and he probably can't even come up with one to say why I shouldn't love my enemy, why I shouldn't treat that person as a neighbor. Especially if I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. If I'm going to love God that way, then I probably need to love my neighbor. And my neighbor's definition is a lot longer. It's a lot broader now. Because Jesus is asking us to see our enemies differently. He's asking us to see them as neighbors now. Now, Matthew 5, starting in verse 43, tells us, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that they may be children of your Father in heaven. So again, Jesus is redefining who our neighbor is. Now, most of us in this room, we've heard that before, right? This is nothing new to us. We've heard this concept of loving our enemies. Praying for our enemies, looking for ways to serve our enemies, to do things our enemies, to, to, to just love them. Our enemies are kind of defined as those people or are defined as those ones that they're the people that don't believe in God. They don't know about Jesus. They're the ones that don't believe the same as I do. And when you kind of take a lot of the layers away of why we don't like someone or we consider them an enemy, I think it comes down to they just don't know God. They don't believe in God. They haven't accepted Jesus. And we can. We can accept that and we can begin to pray for them. We can do that. We can even in some way serve them. We can find ways to love them, provide for them. We can do lots of things to demonstrate love for them. We we can do many of these things that we say that we're supposed to do, loving our enemies. But we can also do it in a way where we don't have to have any contact with them. We can do it in a way where we can uh, kind of walk on the other side of the road that I can just maybe write a check or I can just pray for them. Then in some ways I can essentially avoid them. But I think Jesus is asking us, you know what? Just like this Samaritan man, he went over there and got his hands dirty. He became part of their lives. He didn't just walk on the other side of the street. There's this book that I'm reading right now and it's The chapter I read this week was, it's a, they're talking about plagues in Roman times, about the Roman emperor or empire when there was sicknesses going through. And to the Roman people, it was, if you're sick and there's a plague going around, like you avoid them at all costs. You don't come around them at all. You're just left to fend for yourselves. But then there's these Christians that came around. These Christians would come around and they'd go to the sick, they would treat them, they would, care for them they would hea- heal them they would pray for them and then what happened too is these Christians became sick also and some of them even died but there was there, lots of them were, were healed there was lots of miracles that happened but my point is is that to everybody else this group of people was you avoid them they're the enemy but to the Christians they're people that you love that you served that they literally got their hands dirty now something else about viewing our neighbors through this definition this new definition of loving them so that they can become children of god loving them so that they they discover jesus and receive life that that's that's a we get our hands dirty that way and that's something that's good we can agree on that right that that that's something that we should do that when a person does that's a wonderful thing that that's a miracle when a person accepts jesus and they become part of our neighborhood but they start to believe then as we believe so don't we kind of go back to that old definition that we believe the same way that it, when it comes to Jesus and God that we're again loving our neighbor as ourselves neighbor as in someone that believes in God like I do and there's nothing wrong with that there's that's what we're told to do we're told to spread the gospel we're supposed to take the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth hopefully to bring everybody home, to bring everybody into my neighborhood, to welcome into God's neighborhood. But I want to make this point that when we do that, you know, God is ultimately in control. We know that. But when we do that, there's a little bit of control that I have in this. Don't we control how much involvement we want to do? How much we want to participate in this new definition of a neighbor, of loving those that don't know God? that we can decide to walk to the other side of the street and pass by kind of pretending they aren't there, that we get to choose when, we get to choose how when we're going to love our neighbor. If we, maybe we're just too busy. Maybe I'm too tired. Maybe I've had a long day at work. Maybe whatever it is, I just want to go home. And I want to avoid that person. I'm going to let someone else do it today. Or I'm going to do it Tomorrow. And that's what I'm talking about, control. At some level, I can make a choice. I, make it, I get to pick and choose when and how I want to do this. But I want to bring this out of this story of this Good Samaritan. That here's the Good Samaritan that is, according to this new definition, we're the one that's supposed to help him. We're supposed to be the one that goes to him. And all the other godly neighbors, they just walked on by. But it was the enemy that stopped It was the enemy that stopped. The one that everybody is supposed to be serving and loving and caring for is the one that actually stopped. So I think loving your neighbor as yourself, maybe something inside of this could be said is it's not helping our enemies, but sometimes it's letting our enemies help us. Letting our enemies help us Thing. I don't have any control over that I sometimes need to let my enemy help me and in the example of this story the Good Samaritan this man needed to be dependent upon his enemy because without that he would have died he would have been left on the road to die without the help of his enemy and just to again to help explain this a little bit what I'm talking about here God is, is very gracious to me, and he gave me this experience of letting my enemy love me, being dependent upon my enemy, that my enemy had to stop and help me. So about earlier, it wasn't that long ago, I, I learned this, this lesson. So there's a man in town that he, I, for all purposes, he's an enemy. I'll tell you some of the things, and I think you'll agree, he's an enemy. So this man reported me to the state board for something that I, wa- I was just doing my job. I wasn't violating anything, but he got mad and angry at me and went after me. He also called me. He called my employees and threatened us. Threatened us with lawsuits, threatened us with attorneys, threatened us with all kinds of things. So this guy, was at, he was like an enemy. He was coming after me and so God is just, that's what I mean by so gracious. A lot of you know that I went to Africa about a month ago, and you need a you need a test, a PCR test, a certain kind of test to be able to get out of the country and get into the, the foreign country. And so when I left, it was, Monday was a holiday, so everything, the w- place was closed. And so I needed to go to my enemy, because my enemy was the only one that offered this test within the time frame that I could, could get on the airplane and still be a valid test. So I had to drop all that bitterness, all that rage, all that pride that I had, my anger, everything that was inside, all that evil inside of me. And I had to let my enemy love me. I had to become, I was dependent upon my neighbor. Because he was the only one that could help me. There was no place else open. There was nothing I could do. And I am going to tell you, that was really, really hard. I knew that that was, like I found tried to find any way I could to not have to go to him. And I didn't have a choice. Like it was months. I could even try to get my wife to call and make the appointment to do it. And I, she wouldn't even do it. She said, no, you got to do it. That was hard. So what I discovered is I'm really good at loving my neighbor. This new definition that Jesus gave us of loving my neighbor, those who, who don't know God, or loving those people that are different from me, I, when I kind of hold the cards, when I'm in control of it, when I get to decide when I get to do it and how I get to do it and when I get to do that. But it was a lot harder when I couldn't control it. When I actually needed my enemy to help me, because I did, I thought I knew what loving my neighbor meant until he asked me to let my enemy love me. So loving your neighbor as yourself, I think sometimes it requires... To let our enemy, to let our new definition of neighbor love us. Now I want to end with just a a few questions this week to maybe by yourself or as a group, just kind of think over some of these questions and think of them as it's not just the, the answers we've thought of all the time, but ask that question of how do you define neighbor? Wh- how do you really define neighbor? Who is is my neighbor? Who is in my life that that really is my neighbor and should be my neighbor? And then maybe ask the question: How do you love your neighbor? How are ways you can love your neighbor? Just like my old neighbor, there was lots of ways I could show love to him, that I could have loved him better, and I failed. I didn't. So is there someone in your life that you that God's asking you: How can I, How do you love your neighbor? And then that last one of. How can you let your neighbor love you? How can you let your neighbor, some of them maybe you think is your enemy. Maybe there's a way you, that your enemy can love you. Maybe you're you are you you're like this man that was robbed and you you need something from your neighbor, your enemy. So how can you do that under this new definition of neighbor? Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for